Aussie Tech Heads is brought to you by startnewcompany.com.au. Register your company fast, easy, and direct with ASIC. All documentation is provided and held in your account for downloading at any time. If you're an accountant or other professional, you're also able to brand all documents with your company name. Coming soon, ABN, TFN, and Trusts. Special discount for ATH listeners. At the cart, use ATH20 for a $20 discount. And athwebhosting.com.au. Servers operate on SSD drives, immediate activation, SSL certificates, Aussie support, domain registration, and easy install of WordPress, Joomla, and Drupal. Welcome to episode 673 of the Aussie Tech Heads, recorded on the 16th of April, 2020. I'm your host, Jason Oakley, and this is my co-host, Will Tompkinson. Hey, Will. Hey, mate. How goes it? Always the co-host, never the host. Yeah, um, you know. Womp, womp. i got enough to do without hosting the show as well. <laughs> <laughs> I need to do you all do, the production. You do all the hard work now. I just sit back and... I do all the production and the editing and the uploading and the streaming and the... Yeah, that's fine. You can that's host all. the show. <laughs> How's uh, things going for you? Uh, yes. <laughs> I hear Facebook hates you. Oh, look, not just Facebook. What did you do to upset Zuck? <laughs> so Facebook hates me um, and apparently um, Google hates me. But yeah, no, I posted, uh, I'll show you, the, I'll bring the pictures up because, you know, why not? Um, I got banned. I'm just sorry, I'm just loading the photos. It's uh, I did have them and then I decided to close the... Things, so good work yeah it's preparation <laughs> I know, <We're> professionals right? <laughs> damn it and um one of us is yeah i don't know which one though that's the problem so, mm. but uh yeah so i don't know if you can't zoom, let me zoom in somewhat there we go so i posted that um yep. 12 months ago it was the 21st of march last year i posted that and so they decided that uh yesterday Apparently, I'd only just posted it, and it was upsetting a lot of people. And they, you know, you can't really read it, but basically, it says that um, I've been banned from Facebook for thirty days. <laughs> so well, there's no real great loss there, is there? Well, no. We only uh, well, use Facebook because we have to, not because we want to. Yeah, pretty much. And I wasn't really even concerned about it. Honestly, I didn't really think much of it until tonight when I went to stream. And I figured, okay, what they meant when they said you can't go live, I thought, okay, I can't go live on my page or on a page I own. I didn't realize I couldn't go live on a page I manage, (laughs) which is a problem when you're trying to stream through the Aussie Tech Heads page to to to, uh, Facebook. Um, So, yeah, so anyway, we got around that. But, man, something so simple like that just... You upset the man. <laughs> and you got a review. And so, okay, there's an option for reviewing. So I review. I said, okay, no, I put a review in. And then it says, due to COVID-19, we're short-staffed and the review could take up to six months. So I'm like, but it's only a 30-day ban. What's the point of review <laughs> taking six months? <laughs> like, after 12 months. Just have to wait it out. You know, so it's like, seriously, I, whatever, I don't care. Just just whatever, I'll, I'll deal with it for 30 days, not a big deal. <laughs> and, um, and then on the same day, I was setting up um, a tablet. I've got a Samsung, an old Samsung tablet, and I was using it, but I decided to give it to Cam to watch YouTube and stuff on. So I was setting up with YouTube Kids, and, they, and there's another app you can use 
called Google Google Family, and you set up email account. Well, according to them, you set up email accounts for your kids, and then you have full control over what they can and can't see, and what they can do, and whatever. Which is fine. So I went in, I set up his email account, entered his date of birth, which is what you have to do for the family thing to work. And then it said, sorry, you're younger than 15. We've suspended your account for 90 days. <laughs> but hang will, on. You, will, you, will he turn I, 16 in 90 days? No, no. After 90 days, they delete it. Uh. They suspended it for 90 days to give you time to get your information out of it. Then they're going to delete the account. And so, but hang on. You just told me to... Oh, the account was already there because he's been using it for... Well, I made it when he was born, basically. Yeah. So, And he's been using it for five years or four and a half years. And it was only because I put the date of birth in, which is what they told me to do, yeah. that they locked the suspended the account. <laughs> I'm like, hang, hang on. You told me to enter the date of birth so that I could then control the account. And then you go and tell me that because I entered my date of birth and he's younger than 18, which obviously is because I want to control his account, that I... Can't control his account. You can delete his account. What? <laughs> you, can, you can only control accounts of kids sixteen and up. It's like, who, does anybody? Anyone want... under fifteen gets the free reign of the Google network. <laughs> the people, yeah, exactly. If you don't put your date of birth in, it doesn't complain. It yeah. only complains once you put the date of birth in. And then I said, okay, fine, I'll go and change the date of birth. So I went to change the date of birth, and it goes, you need to provide ID. Yeah. I'm like, but how can you provide ID? On an account that's not actually in your name. Yeah. How does that work? What ID do you want for... <laughs> like, what's the comedy of errors? <laughs> so, I don't know, but... Uh, Time for a new account. Uh, and then also, like, the tech problems we've had tonight is just insane. On top of all the other problems we've had. And I was supposed to... Glenn, I know you're watching because you tell me you watch. So, I don't want to see this in Facebook Messenger later when you ask me why. The new intro is just not ready because I ran out of time and couldn't get it uploaded um, onto OBS. I couldn't get it in there in time yeah, for the some, show tonight. Sometimes he has trouble so, it up. Yeah. Usually when there's people around. Um, and so I don't want to see a message on Facebook tomorrow going, oh, you didn't use a new intro. <laughs> You'll see it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You probably will. Your account will be reported for not using the intro. I mean, I and you'll be banned from YouTube now. Yeah, probably, yeah. I mean, I know people have um, been suspended for 24 hours and stuff on Facebook. And I have never had a suspension or a ban or a warning even on Facebook. Like, how come they went straight for the 30 days? Like, that's like one of their tough... That's the second toughest punishment. The next one is just a, uh, just a total suspension or account deletion. Some, somebody must have had a... It had to be more than one person. It yeah. had to have been a lot of people would have get had a, to report that. Get a few that. of your friends to report somebody for something that they didn't like for you no know, reason. So, they got, what else you got to do? I'm sitting at home with the COVID out there. What am I supposed to do? I'll just start reporting random people and see what happens. For their yeah, lives. well, I mean, Brad um, on YouTube, on uh, what's he on? He's on Twitch. He's actually just put in the comments saying that he got banned for posting for 24 hours for simply using... A, I can't read the words from you, but it's simple if you're using some words to criticize some of Sydney's draconian nightlife laws. <laughs> and he got suspended for 24 hours. And I, you know, on something that I posted a couple of days ago, yeah, okay, fine, suspend yep. me, but not a post that's over 12 months old. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> you know. Bloody ridiculous, mate. Uh, but anyway, so as is our general plan of attack, we're trying to minimize how many coronavirus stories. Um, we have 
Yeah, everyone's um, going to die. Just get used to it. It's quite difficult because literally every single story in the news feed mentions coronavirus. <laughs> so, Even the technical ones oh. are about how technology is going to deal with coronavirus. Like Apple and Google are putting together an app that's going to track you around the world and report back you every move. And then the Australian government's making an app so they can tell you if you were within two meters of somebody who's definitely got COVID in the last 24 hours and all this crap. It's like, who's going to install an app from the Australian government that tracks you around Australia. I can tell you who. Tells you. The people who are going to install that app are the same people who ring up and ring up the police and complain because you went exercising twice in one day. And because you post things to Facebook they don't like. Yeah. <laughs> that that's that they're the, they're the people who who'll do it. I, I guarantee you. <laughs> it's just like seriously. Um, and then and then the uh, current war between ScoMo and Turnbull. No. Yeah. Turnbull released a book saying Scotty sucks and Scotty's friends are like, yeah, well, he was horrible. We don't like Turnbull anyway, so <laughs> they're all knifing each other. It's hilarious. Yeah, and there's a story I was even reading about what seemed like an innocent story about a guy who's saying, I don't know what the big deal is because I've been working for home for the last eight years. And then he's carrying on about, but now all the things change because now everyone else is at home because of the virus and I can't get in there. And I'm like, oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> Is there anything that happens in this world lately? Well, apparently Zoom mm. is unaffected by the virus. Um, well, not in a good How's way, that? anyway. <laughs> Zoom's um, copping a flogging from left, right and centre at the moment. They can't win no matter what they seem to do. We love Zoom. Well, we do. We use it. We don't have any problems. We, you know, we have great video quality, great audio quality, no dropouts, no, very, very few buffering issues. <coughs> it's quite <coughs> Google Meet. <laughs> yeah hang out and everything else we tried um but there's still i mean there's companies that are banning the use of it going to microsoft whatever their thing's called um there's people who are still i've got a well okay i've got a story here might as well see as we're going that way actually before i do that I should talk about how how your life's been <laughs> i forgot you got right a life. <laughs> no, no, right you, you no, wouldn't nothing, be having any extra work at all uh, nothing exciting has happened in the last week. I'm waiting for some parts from my Commodore 64 to come from overseas and one from Melbourne now because, um, as it turns out, I think we mentioned it last time, the Commodore 64 power supplies can kill the Commodore 64. So I ordered a little uh, protector, or they call it a saver. You yep. just plug your power into there and then plug that Commodore 64. And yeah, it's a couple of, of basically... Voltage, so smoothers um to yeah. take out the surging yeah so i'm waiting for one of them to come from i haven't dared turn the computer on just in case <laughs> i'm yeah. too too it, paranoid now they're like oh yeah any second and then i go to twitter and this guy is like oh i turned on my commodore 64 today and the sound doesn't work they're like yeah the power supply blew the sound chip and you can't get sound chips so you have to get a third-party sound chip, which is almost as good as the originals, but not quite, but there's nothing else you can do, so tough. So I'm like, I'm not plugging it in or turning on or anything until I get my saver. It's not... Um, it's not... It's normally when the power supply heats up and it's been in use for a while. It's not generally instant. It usually happens over a period of time. Um, oh, well, somebody... I don't know if it's true because you know more than I do, but somebody had said that even if the power supply is plugged into the computer and the computer is switched off, but the power supply has still got power coming from the power board that it can 
Or yeah, because it only turns off the five volt rail. I think it doesn't turn off the. Well, it doesn't turn off one of the rails. Oh, it only okay. turns off one of them. So yeah, that that would make sense that that, that could happen. But once again, it's usually the power supply is hot because it's been left on. Um, okay. But well, I'm just going to leave it unplugged until I get my safer. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, that, that's that's the easiest thing to do. But it's um, it's it, as I was saying, somebody in the comments on last week's show said, oh, it's not just a basic power supply. It's got two multi voltages in it." No, so, because I was mentioning there is a adapter you can get. Um, I think yep. from memory, I have to go back and read the comment. I think it was a nine, a five volt rail, or a nine volt rail. I think the Commodore uses. Yep. Um, but there's an adapter you can get that plugs into a standard power supply. From I think it's from twelve to nineteen volt, and it'll oh, okay. it steps down and splits the power. And it's only a little tiny oh, <laughs> matchbox size thing, so you haven't got to um, have that big massive. Send me the deets. I think I saw it on eBay. I think, but um, other than that, not a lot. It's um, funny being a Commodore sixty four Mario on the chats. Like, don't forget about Glenn. He's the uh, (laughs) he's still having what is it? He's still having issues working out his Commodore sixty four (laughs) computer. That's what he streams from, isn't it? (laughs) That's his. That's his audio recording computer. I think. Yeah. (laughs) Other than that, um, I helped port over the last few months a um, programming system called the Multi-Platform Arcade Game Designer. The Multi-Platform? Sort of yeah, Multi-Platform. <laughs> it was originally made for Spectrum, but now it works on Amstrad and it works on VZ now, thanks to me. Nice. And uh, BBC Micro and Dragon32 and all these other computers. So you just program stuff once and then you go export to these platforms and that writes the code in assembly for you which is really fast well, that makes it easy and i i made a manic minor type platform game but nobody want, seems to care about it so i'm going to do one for spectrum not like manic minor because they already got that obviously but a platform and type game anyway so i think i'll do one for spectrum because they asked about if anyone was interested in porting it to six commodore 64 Everyone said, no, we don't care, so they're not going to do that. And I would like to make games for that, but I'll have to learn assembly from scratch again and where all the memory locations is, how to do sprite multiplexes and all this crap. So this software already does Spectrum, and everyone's excited about the Spectrum next. So they would download a game even if I put it on itch.io for free or something. Speaking of older games, um, I was watching a really interesting documentary on Crash Bandicoot. Yeah. And... um, is that how it manipulates the hardware how, or something? Yeah, how they completely just—it was—it's so mind mind blowing what they did. They completely hacked the basically from the second they loaded the the disc, they basically hacked the firmware as the game was loading to allow it to do things that it was never supposed to. Which is why I mean, Crash Bandicoot, out of all the PlayStation games, hands down, had the best graphics. Like. The yep. graphics were, were just spectacular on it. You know, better than Sonic, better than Tomb Raider, better than all these other games. So they were fine. Yeah. But compared to compared to Memory Crash was Bandicoot, so short. Compared to Crash Bandicoot, they were, you know, nothing really. Yep. And this documentary it's called um it's on the war stories from Ars Technica. It's how how Crash Bandicoot hacked the game. Yep. And um they basically this guy's one of the developers and they went through and talked about how um so I mean, there's there's an example. That's what Crash Bandicoot, you know, looked like, and then you had you know, like Sonic, or uh, you know, in in here somewhere they show a screenshot of Tomb Raider. I can't think where it is, but what they did, you know, things like 
um, changing shaders qualities and stuff on the fly to change frame rates and um, loading sections off the disc and using the disc as memory um, and bypassing some of the software libraries that slowed the game down and like, I, I'm not I'm not super technical like some of the stuff I got the general gist of what they were doing I want to watch it but um, it's really amazing like how they like here's a, here's a section here for example so they worked out that over a 30 second period the internal memory of the PlayStation could hold say 20 seconds worth of data and the they could the CD-ROM took ten seconds to spin up and load the next section. So as long as they were always ten seconds, they had ten seconds loaded into memory. They could load ten seconds in at one end and pull ten seconds out of the other end and keep the drive <laughs> spinning. So they were able to load. Everybody else was trying to load entire levels. Um, so you'd have it pause and wait for it to load, whereas they just kept going. Well, yeah, that's that. You know, but. Everyone else was trying to load entire levels at a time, but what these guys were doing was they were filling the memory buffer up and then that was playing into the game and then while that was playing into the game, they'd load the next lot of memory up. So they never actually had to sit there and wait for buffering. Oh, nice. And uh, it was just amazing to watch. Like, It's one of the original like hacks. They hacked <laughs> the game that they were supposed to be... <laughs> I want to watch that, man. It's, yeah, no, it's, it's, if you're even remotely interested in... Um, there's two really good stories. One is that one. There's a, a full version and an edited version. Watch the edited one's 31 minutes. There's a full one that's about an hour and something. Um, and then the other one that's really good to watch is uh, how a pair of tweezers defeated security on the Nintendo Wii. Um, <laughs> the Nintendo Wii at the time was touted as the most secure system, unhackable, blah 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 blah. And I hacked mine. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is but this is how they hacked it originally before, before like the. Once the hack came commonplace, it, it was easy. Yeah. But this is how they actually developed that hack and how they they did it through, once again, managed to do it through software. They actually used, um, they discovered a hidden processor inside the GPU and they activated <laughs> code when it was launching the GameCube section of the game. Like It's it's amazing. It's, it's really, really, really fun to watch, that sort of stuff. It's just... It, just whack the links on the Aussie Tech Heads page or send them to me and I'll put them there since you're banned. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and if but... we're going to talk about old games, I should mention that today was the uh, announcement of the completion of Fix-It Felix Jr. for the Commodore 64. Oh, really? Yeah, they're going to release it very soon, but they've got a video on YouTube and it's really, really good. I had a look at the... they did an, Somebody else did a version for the Amiga which is okay, but the Commodore 64 one looks exactly like the arcade in the movie and also has the samples. So he's got, I'm going to wreck it. Oh, nice. I can fix it. And jumps around. It looks really, really good. They got the big cranes that come on, build nice land towers, and then the crane goes off and then a giant um, Wreck-It Ralph comes on and does his sample and then jumps up the top and starts throwing wrecking the building and the whole building and everything starts shaking and then um he drops bricks down on your head that you have to try and block with your helmet to stop them breaking the windows and stuff it does it looks it looks awesome <laughs> isn't that amazing 
but the one with the for the Amiga, instead of those windows shattering like that, it's just got a circle black hole over the window. It's like, oh, you didn't even try. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I, I just yeah, WIP3 was the latest one. Yeah, that was some. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that one there. Yeah. I'm going to wreck it. I'm going to wreck, wreck it. it. <laughs> Fix it, Phoenix. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, yep, that'll be one to, to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I'll definitely get that if they put on itch.io or whatever. So whack it on my Commodore 64 and start playing it. Awesome old timey stuff. It reminds me that architecture and that pattern and design reminds me a lot of uh, Ghostbusters. Yeah. On the C64. Yeah. It's a cross between Ghostbusters on that and. What was it on the Atari? Um, uh, used to climb the buildings. You're the monsters and you climb the buildings and wreck them. Rampage. Rampage. So it's kind of a cross between those. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody mentioned that recently. They're like, oh, Wreck-It Ralph is a bit like Rampage destroying the buildings. And so Yeah, it is. For, except you don't have someone fixing it. You've just got two two players wrecking it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that, so that's um, that's that's your old fart geeks, old fart for, this geeks for this week. Yeah, we got <laughs> got to incorporate that occasionally. Can't just let it go completely. <laughs> no, every week we got that's our segment at the start of every week show. I reckon we should just do old fart geeks. Yeah, sounds. I'm, I'm fine with it. The problem is it ended up being longer than the show if we had our. Everyone who's <laughs> listening is probably an old fart geek anyway. Well, uh, none of you teenagers listen to this kind of stuff with a couple uh, of old guys reminiscing. Hello. Blurring his face. Unblur yourself, son. Hello. You're not on. Nope, you're not on go. the TV show, cops. <laughs> bad boys. Bad boys. <laughs> Google has removed 49 Chrome extensions from the web store that posed as legitimate cryptocurrency wallet apps, but contain malicious code that stole the crypto wallet private keys, mnemonic phases, and other raw secrets. The 49 extensions were discovered by Harry Denley, director of security at My Crypto Platform. We shared his findings exclusively last week. Denley says the 49 extensions appear to have been put together by the same personal group believed to be Russian-based threat actor. <laughs> it's just wait till the Russians get here. It's always the Russians. <laughs> yeah, it we the hate Russians the Chinese fault. now, not the Russians. What's going on? Hello. Get with the program. Whilst the extensions all function the same, the branding is different depending on the user they're targeting. The My Crypto Security researcher says he has identified malicious extensions posing as known crypto wallet apps such as Ledger, Trezor, Jax, Electrum, My Ether Wallet, MetaMask, Exodus, and KeepKey. The malicious extensions all work nearly identically to the real ones. However, any data a victim enters during configuration steps is sent to one of the attacker's servers or a Google form. However, thefts from users' accounts don't happen right away. In a controlled experiment, Denley said he entered the credentials of a test account into one of the malicious extensions, yet the funds were not immediately stolen. He believes the threat actor is interested in stealing funds from high-value accounts only, or the attacker hasn't figured out how to automate the theft and has to access each account manually. Nonetheless, he says that thefts are happening. The researchers tied some publicly reported incidents to some of the 49 extensions he has been recently tracking. Unfortunately, due to the nature of most cryptocurrencies, victims cannot recover any of the stolen funds. Furthermore, since the threat actor behind this campaign is still at large and other malicious extensions are expected to pop up on the web store in the coming months. 
It's now encouraging users to file reports on the crypto scam database if they believe any of their Chrome extensions might be behind future wallet hacks and lost funds. Such reports help him and others to track down malicious extensions faster and have them taken down from the Chrome web store. Hmm. I'm sorry, the entire article, I was, I was more distracted by what's going on over here. Hang on, where is it? Is he asleep? Is he going to let me scroll across? Oh, it's not. No. Womp <laughs> womp. It's not a tablet. Dang it. <laughs> I don't know if you can see that. Uh, Amazon uh, Amazon stock thing. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately you can't really see it. Hang on, let me do it this way. Uh, he's a bit ripped, that guy. Yeah, it's like, what's going on there? And then he's, he's, got, Jeff Bezos. he's got the mask and the... <laughs> the Asian, the Asian face with the mask happening over here. <laughs> I was like, uh, what on earth? Oh dear! Crazy stuff, man. What do you got for us? Uh, something you'd appreciate. Um, <laughs> I doubt that. Yeah, I know. Right. A couple of quick stories. Just this one just got me because I just love the headline: Florida lawyer forgets to wear shirt for Zoom court hearing. <laughs> it seems some professionals are. Uh, Hang on, I'll get the buttons right in a minute. It seems some professionals are adjusting better than others to work from home. One one Florida judge has had enough. Um, working basically, yeah, in Florida, for example, there's a worrying phenomenon. Some lawyers appear to be taking liberties during Zoom court hearings. Things have become so difficult that County Judge Dennis Bailey felt compelled to make an announcement on the Western Bar Association. He observed that judges would appreciate if the lawyers and their clients kept in mind their Zoom hearings are just that, hearings. They're not casual phone conversations. It's easy to confuse working from home for a very casual Friday, though. This thought seems to have reached troubling proportions. It's remarkable how many attorneys appear inappropriately on camera. We've seen many lawyers in casual shirts and blouses with no concern for ill-grooming in bedrooms with the master bed in the background. <laughs> And what's on the night table, lady? Night table, ladies. Yeah, I know, right? So this is sort of goes in hand in hand with what I was saying before about Zoom. There's another one: Zoom bombing disrupts a house oversight committee meeting. Um, it's the infiltrated the highest level of government. The U.S. congressman says miscreants have managed to disrupt a Zoom meeting held in the highest level of U.S. government, despite warnings against using the software. The event took place on April 3rd, according to a letter sent to the House. Uh, in spite of warnings by the FBI media outlets, you held a Zoom-hosted member briefing on women's rights in Afghanistan with the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, Jordan wrote. During this important briefing, the session was Zoom-bombed and at least three times. So, I don't understand, like, if you... <laughs> Zoom's changed their protocol, so the random number attack no longer works. That's not a thing. If you display the meeting ID or an email address that's associated with it, then you can join it. But when you join it, you go into a lobby. Once you go into the lobby, you then have to be accepted into the meeting. So it's not Zoom's fault that whoever's running the Zoom software accepts random people into the meeting. <laughs> like, I'll show you... Oh, look, Mr. Prez Donaldi Trump wants to join into our meeting. Accept. Yeah. Like, if I show... It's a bit hard to see because it's a bit zoomed out, but... There's a whole thing here saying, you know, security. So I can actually lock the meeting at this point with the two of us if I chose to and nobody else could join. Or I'm going to manage participants and when they first load in, they come into here and then you then have the choice from this point whether you want to accept them or kick them out or, you know, do all sorts of things like that. 
it's not like it's it's easy to to get in. You've got to specifically be allowed in. Then the only other time it becomes an issue is if you, which they've actually now fixed again because they've actually removed the meeting ID off the title bar. So even if you're not in full screen anymore, it no longer shows the meeting ID up here like it used to. Yeah. Um, so that was one way they were getting it because it's showing the meeting ID there. The other way they'll do it um, is if you go to... Uh, go back to full screen. If you go to... Um, where are we? Manage participants. Then you can go invite. And then you've got this one here. Now you can... You can see it's showing the meeting ID there. So technically anybody can now join because that's that's the meeting ID. But it's... You know, if you've got the room, ding dong. Yeah, it's going to come up ding dong. Do you want him to join? You still let somebody in. And if you want to, then all you need to do is just lock the meeting and nobody else can join anyway. So I don't really. And here's my question even if they have the meeting ID up there, how are people people seeing it? You would have to be streaming it live to Twitch or Facebook or YouTube or something. Well, you got to remember a random person to see it. Yeah, 1080. Well, uh, a lot of people I do. Can't, I can't just start up Zoom and suddenly I can see somebody's meeting ID no, that I'll, I'm not invited to. I'll give you an example of what happens. Um, cause I actually watched this happen live a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Um, who's line anyway? Obviously can't get in the studio at the moment, so they're doing um, they're doing virtual um, streams. Yep. On YouTube, and what they're doing. Let's see if I can find. Uh, I don't know if um, this isn't my account, so it's not bookmarked. Um, Whose on is it anyway? Live stream. Let's try that. See if that comes up. Yeah, here we go. So, what what they're doing is they are broadcasting, obviously yeah, live stream. onto Facebook. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, shush. So it's okay for the majority of them because they know how to use how to handle it and stuff like that. But what happens is somebody will share a screen. Uh, I don't know if it's in this particular one that happened. But in one of them, somebody shared their screen and their (laughs) their picture of their Zoom window came up and had their meeting ID up in the corner. RyanStyles1 at iCloud.com. Yeah, and there is a classic example. He had his email address. He's since changed it. But he had his email address down the bottom there because he didn't realize that you could put anything else and he thought he had to have his email Mine address to log in. has my name on it. Yeah. Why would you put... Because um, Ryan knows nothing about technology. Like literally <laughs> nothing about technology. But not only that, he's the one who shared the meeting ID and he managed to share his phone number all in the same episode. Way to go, Ryan. <laughs> so that can happen. You know, it's, it's well, not... we, we wouldn't share our screens like, oh, you just did. <laughs> it's not, it's not, you know super uncommon that people share their screens they don't know but generally you would what i don't get is in a meeting situation with the white house for example why are you sharing a screen why is that why is that being shared you know that's that's where it and why is it live streamed yeah that's that's the thing i don't understand uh, that part of it for the average person Mm. yeah but why are business meetings having the same issue um i don't know because they has the dumb yeah, pretty much. That's that's all I can think of. I I don't understand why how. Um, it's back in the day when you used to go into have your stream key, 
and you'd be live streaming and you're going to Twitch to set your stream key up or something. And as soon as you go into settings, it was the first thing you saw. Yeah. <laughs> now they've. And it gets streamed out to everyone. Yeah. Now they've encrypted it and you've got to actually click on the link to, uh, to do something about it. But back in the day, yeah, as soon as you clicked on settings, the stream key was the first thing that came up and everybody got a copy of your stream key, you know, so. It can happen. No, Glenn Goodman's joined the chat. Good to see he's still awake. Oh, that's trouble. What happened there? How, how's he still awake? So, yes, as I was saying, <laughs> very, very serious. So, <clears throat> Do you use GitHub? Um, occasionally. Very rarely. Well, GitHub, the Microsoft-owned software hosting site, said on Tuesday it will reduce prices on one of its most popular paid tiers and also moving a key feature of all its paid plans into its existing free tier. Now, GitHub says the Teams subscription, which previously cost $9 a month, will now be $4 per user a month. All existing paid customers on the plan will move to the new pricing model starting today. And for those who want to use GitHub for private development but didn't want to pay the per user price, the company now says you'll be able to sign up for the free version of GitHub and access that feature for the first time. They'll now grant you access to unlimited collaborators on private repositories, something that used to require you to pay for one of GitHub's subscriptions. Prior to this change, the free model of GitHub gave you unlimited repositories so long as they were public, effectively ensuring the platform's free plan couldn't be used by a startup or small company. While the $7 a month pro plan added unlimited collaborators and a few other perks while maintaining the public requirement. Beyond the free, pro, and team tiers, GitHub sells an enterprise and even more feature-rich GitHub One plan with special pricing, typically negotiated by sales teams for large companies and organizations. We're happy to announce that we are making private repositories with unlimited collaborators available to all GitHub accounts, they said. All of the core GitHub features are now free for everyone. Until now, if your organization wanted to use GitHub for private development, you had to subscribe to one of our paid plans, but every developer on Earth should have access to GitHub. Price should be a barrier. Microsoft does something right. Yeah, I mean, was it an accident? Like, did they mean to do that? (laughs) (laughs) So, Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean... So many people use GitHub. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's, I'm just looking through the categories now. Like, it's literally got everything on there. I... Have used it a couple of times, but I, I can't say I use it very much. Um, That's where I was storing all the um, versions of my VZ uh, gaming engine that I was writing. I was committing it all to GitHub, and then when I was happy with it, I would publish where I was up to, so people would have the latest version. Then I start on the next lot of coding and just wait till I got that right, and then publish an update to everything. So, because before what I was doing was I had on my WordPress a download section which had a plugin that would count the number of downloads and where they came from and all that crap like you usually do. But then when a new version comes out, I would have to go to the downloads page, upload the new version, put this is a new version and all this crap on there. It was a pain in the ass to do all of that. So then I just said, look, I'll just put it all on GitHub. When I've got a version I'm happy with, I hit publish, bang, it's there. Anyone can download the current latest one if they go there. And I put a link to that GitHub from my website and then it's always got the latest thing going and you never have to update anything. So mm. you can download a zip with everything together if you want to, or you can just view the raw data or all of that. So it's really, really good. So yeah, I was using it a lot for that. Yeah, no, it, it, I see it a lot like browsing websites, especially websites in, on like makers' sites where you're designing and developing a lot of stuff. You tend to see a lot of links to it. Um, as I said, I, I haven't 
used it a lot, but yeah, it's definitely something I have I have used on the odd occasion and it's always served its purpose, you know. Yeah. So um so something a little bit different. Um And now for something completely different. No, no, not completely different, just a little bit different. A man with three buttocks. <laughs> Luxury yacht. Um, <laughs> so, there's a, uh, there's a lot of things on YouTube. Um, survivors camping and, you know, how to survive in the wilderness and bug out camping and, and all this sort of stuff. But there's one I saw a while ago and it was called the BioLite stove. Now, originally, um, it wasn't super great. The, the original one, actually, this is the second one I'm looking at here, but it looked very similar. Basically, what it was, it was a um, a stove, like a jet stove that you could light, you'd light a fire in. It had a thermocouple on the back of it, like a Peltier sort of deal that would turn the heat into electricity. It then had an onboard battery that you could store um, the power in and then you could charge your phone and whatever from, from that. Um, now, it did take a while. It took several hours to you know charge up and to charge your phone and things like that but they have released a newer version now uh that i had up here and for some reason i I don't but anyway um because technology um but it's it's a slightly bigger jet stove it's still not real big but it's a little bit bigger has this more efficient design in it and it has a bigger onboard battery this one only had like a i think it was a two or three amp hour onboard battery so realistically it really struggled to charge a modern phone um, the new one will charge your phone like three or four times. It takes only a couple of hours to charge. Um, oh, nice. And they've got like a built-on fan as well, so it can fan the fire. So it's a cooking, like it's literally something you can use to cook with as well. Um, it's not just a just a phone device. You take it camping with you, you set it up, it, it's cooking your dinner. While you're cooking your dinner, you, you're charging your phone. Um the reason I like them, I like it now, is the price has actually finally come down a bit to reflect the. Um, I had the price up here. Then Amazon, there was one left, and it was displaying the price. And apparently, <laughs> somebody's now bought that one, and it's no longer available, so it doesn't display the price anymore. <sighs> Joys of live shows, but yeah, um, it's has now come to a price point where it's at a reasonable price now. Um, On the uh, BioLite website, it says one hundred and forty nine ninety five US. US, yeah. Well, I think it's it's only about two hundred Australian now. If you get it through Amazon, I think I saw it at, uh, which makes it about about ninety bucks or so US, ninety or hundred bucks US. Um, so it's a really good way to have a practical alternate way to cook something if you lose power but as well as that it also allows you to charge your phone to run an led light you know to do a couple of small things so you're not completely stranded without power oh, so here we go. 191.96 aud what was that on biolightenergy.com okay, yeah. i think it's actually a bit cheaper on amazon uh, um but and they've also got a camp a coffee press camp stove yeah I always go with it. They've got a few things, actually. It's, it's pretty decent. The only reason I mention it, yeah, because, you know, everyone's talking about, you know, f- everyone's freaking out about, you know, things going going to pot. But, you know, this is a practical a practical solution to a problem. Um, but it, it also, yeah, it also 
is something because of the way it's designed, it can sit in the cupboard for two years and you never have to use it. Yep. Um, but when you do use it, it's it's simple. You've only got to make a fire, and even people who live in the middle of town shouldn't have too much of a trouble, you know, coming up with some sticks and twigs to make a fire for a couple of hours, you know. Yeah. So it's a little bit oddball, but I just quite I quite enjoy that sort of thing. It's a multi. It covers many aspects of technology. You know, I just I just thought it was pretty cool. Awesome. Um, it uses. If you've ever had one of these gimmicky little, uh, where are we? If you've ever had one of these gimmicky little, um, like fridges, you know, you get those little can fridges that you plug into USB and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Well, they run off a of Peltier. So they have a fan and there's a Peltier chip in there, a thermocouple in there that produces heat on one side, produces cold on the other. The more heat you get off one side, the more cold you get on the other. Well, that's basically what they're using, but they're reversing the process. They're putting that side up against the fire and creating heat on yep. that side, which is which is creating the power inside the thermocouple and uh, not, nice. um, the Peltier and generating the electricity. So it's it's an old technology. A lot of the old, in the old days, say the old days, back when, you know, 586s and Pentiums became a thing, um, <laughs> Peltier cooling was quite a common way to chill, to chill your CPU. Uh, for overclocking, you know, you, when you wanted to overclock your Pentium 90 to a Pentium 100. Um, <laughs> Pen, yeah, but Peltier cooling was, was quite a common thing. And um, so it's not a new technology. It's an older technology, but it's just good to see it's being used for, for stuff. Do those USB fridges work very well? Um, they work okay. If you, if you put a cold can in them, it will keep it It'll cold. Stay. If you put a hot can in it, I mean, in a couple of days, it will... <laughs> it will chill it, but it won't really chill a, a hot can. Um, yeah. But that's what you want, isn't it? You bring the can yeah. out of the fridge, take it to work and whack it in there and keep it cold. Or it's the other way. Some of them have a hot, hot cold selector. So oh, yeah. you can do the same thing. You can put well, it on hot. Yeah, you can put it on hot and put your coffee in there or whatever and it keeps it hot. Um, it works better if it's away from breeze, like an air con or a fan. If you can put it sort of in the corner where it's in still air. It yep. works a lot better because it can't generate enough cold to keep replenishing the little. And if you insulate it with a little bit of foam, it works even better. And they do have um, pocket warmers. Same thing. They use that. They use that Peltier chip that slides inside your glove, oh, and right. they run off a little rechargeable LiPo battery that you have in your top pocket. And so you can put them in your shoes and put them in your gloves, so it keeps <laughs> your hands and feet warm. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And you like the little devices. So the Turbo Graphics 16 Mini is available now for $99.99 US. And it's the latest in a growing line of miniature plug and play devices based on beloved consoles. While you can purchase the console now, shipments in Europe and North America have been delayed due to the ongoing pandemic. It's a trend Nintendo started in 2016 with the NES Classic. And so far, it covered everything from well-crafted tiny consoles like the excellent Sega Genesis Mini to more disappointing fare like Sony's Slapdash PlayStation Classic. One thing all of these devices had in common, though, is that they were miniature versions of best-selling hardware. The TurboGrafx-16 Mini fills a different niche. For many people, it won't be a chance to revisit classic games from their youth, but instead an opportunity to discover a period of retro gaming they likely missed out for the first time. The most notable thing about the TurboGrafx-16 Mini hardware is that it's not exactly mini. 
Sure, it's more than an Xbox, but compared to other miniature consoles, it's downright huge. The device measures 240mm by 156 by 35 and roughly it's about the same size as two SNES classics placed side by side. If you're looking for a smaller option, there's the Japan-only PC Engine Mini or Europe's Core Graphics Mini, which are functionally almost identical. Like the original device, the Turbo Graphics Mini 16 Mini is black, rectangular slight bit of curve on its back. The new version mostly looks like the original. There are a number of features like the cartridge slot on the front and auxiliary switches on the side are purely decorative now. Aside from the console itself, you'll also get a single controller that plugs into the front of the Turbo Graphics via USB, as well as separate micro USB cable for power. Though it should be noted that the console doesn't come with an AC adapter to actually plug the cable in. You'll need to provide your own. A nice touch for fans of cable management, the rear curved section of the mini console pops off so you can plug in the HDMI and USB cables, but in a way that looks nice and tidy once you put the back cover back on. Overall, it's about what you expect from a mini console at this point, with plastic construction that isn't exactly premium, but sits a notch or two above feeling cheap. At the very least, the power switch is very satisfying to flip on. Of course, the most important part of any plug-and-play device is its library, and the TurboGrafx-16 comes with a lot of games. There are 25 English titles, but you can also swap over to the PC Engine option in the main menu at any point for 32 more Japanese games. There's some overlap between the two, and not every title is playable if you can't speak Japanese. Hideo Kojima's cyberpunk adventure Snatcher, for instance, is full of text, so it won't work if you don't know the language, but there are a number of titles like Ninja Gaiden, Castlevania Rondo of Blood, and plenty other classic shoot-em-ups that are perfectly accessible even if you don't understand Japanese. I like the control pad. Pretty nice. It's got a DIN plug just like the yeah. power supply of my Commodore 64. DIN? I think it's more like an S-Video plug. Is it? Ah. It's smaller than the DIN, I think. Um, interesting. you ever look much at the Turbo Graphics stuff? I've looked at it. Um, yeah, it's S-Video by the looks of it. Ah, right. I've looked at it, but... Um, I don't know look, much about it at all. It's, it's that crossover period where they went arcade games and then they tried to put arcade games on the consoles yep so it's hard to explain it's like um uh trying to think of some of the games in the time on arcade like uh turbo um uh space carrier there was a case a car one i can't think what it was but it was just a you know, and there spree. Yeah, maybe it was that one. I can't think of that. But uh, yeah, there was. It's that sort of all the games of that sort of feel where they were, they were arcade, and they sort of went, "Oh, well, let's just put them on a console." Yeah. Um. So it was kind of interesting actually to see. It's. I don't think it's bad, but I mean, it's not. I was trying to not see something I'd get because. I hardly was into consoles. Mine was mostly actual computers with keyboards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm the same. Like, I've got the Nintendo Mini Classic, and it it was great for a week. But then you realise that they didn't. They've really badly upscaled stuff, and they haven't managed stuff properly. And just nothing about it felt, you know, like there's a basically a classic Atari console, the same sort of thing, you know. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I just they just never felt right. They never felt they didn't have that 
that feeling that you you wanted out of them, you know. Not not enough nostalgia. I think the part of the problem is they made them mini, and they're not designed to be mini. They are a massive console. You know the the this Atari that they've replicated this off. This thing was about two foot long and a foot wide. Like it was a huge console. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think that's that was part of the excitement. You'd grab this console out of the cupboard, you'd take it over the TV, you'd put it on the floor, you'd go and run the power cable from halfway across the lounge room because there's no power points. You go and plug yeah. the antenna cable in the other side of the lounge room. You've got 14 foot of cable on the controller because the console's way over there. It's just, it's, I think it was the experience of of the thing rather than the games the games are great i had i had one or two where you had to actually unscrew the aerial that had those y clips and screw yeah in the left and right yeah that was the adapters you could get that turned it on rf <laughs> adapter yeah. yeah you know and i think that's all part of it like that was the experience of it that was how it how it made you like it, it, it was the build-up to the game like you didn't yep. just go and play a game it was it was a process you had to really want to play that game because you had to be committed to the cause it was a 20- unless you had homework <laughs> yeah well <laughs> then you're in serious trouble you know? and then you had some games like um uh, pitfall that didn't have a save game option every time you played it you had to start from the start and yeah. it's a several hundred level game you know so you'd be playing it for 3 or 4 hours and you'd run out a weekend and you're like, okay, you'd really carefully grab the console and you'd pick it up and you'd really carefully move it across and you'd put it down in the corner and you just carefully unplug the aerial, you leave the power cable hooked up to it, you know, and it was just like, you didn't want to disturb that cartridge because the thing would crash and you'd lose all your, you, you know, it was this yeah. whole, this whole excitement and build up and drama and everything around playing of we the want game. the full experience well I, honestly i think that's what it is if you yeah. bought back a classic nintendo or an atari 2600 or a, even a, a sega mega drive not so much the later ones in the the game cubes and playstation but pre that um even the the commodore 64s or the amstrads or the amigas um And you made people like you bought back the CRT monitors, the the Commodore. Uh, I can't think of the part number, but the Commodore monitors. Ten eighty four S. Everybody sought after because they were just fantastic quality. Um, yeah, they, they were. It's hard monitors. to get them on eBay now. Ten eighty four S's. The amount of those I threw out when I worked at the computer store in Melbourne, we must have thrown a hundred of them out. They're like six hundred dollars each. I know. Now. <laughs> Looking, you know, we couldn't get rid of them. Looking back now, it's like. You know, this well, what about me? I had the Commodore 64 Mini for a couple of years, hardly used it. And now I ended up buying an actual Commodore 64 yeah. to get the full experience. But, you plug a cartridge in right. there, it's got the Epic's fast loader. You know, and, and that's the thing. If you if you combined a handful of the things, like instead of having a Commodore 64 with a tape drive, if you put yep. the SD card on it so you can at least load the game in reasonable time, you know, then I think you've got the best of both worlds there. And I think it becomes an enjoyable experience, but you still get the whole experience that goes with it, not just the... I mean, modern games are great. Don't get me wrong. I play I play them quite often and I enjoy, I enjoy them, but it's a whole different thing. You literally sit down, load the game, play it. Like, there's no other work involved, unless it's a VR game, it's a bit more, but there's no other work involved in playing a game. Yeah. You don't have... Especially if you get friends over. Remember on some of the other... Um, there were some consoles that were 
well, most were two player, but some could have up to four players with adapters and Y connectors. Or some of them you could have two consoles linked together, and and I think and you could play four player through two consoles. You know, and then you've got a what twenty four inch, twenty six inch TV, yep. <laughs> and you've got four <laughs> split four screens. I mean, look at the Nintendo sixty four playing four player Goldeneye. Yeah, you know, and we used to play that on a fourteen-inch portable TV in my bedroom. There's four of us playing on a you know a screen this big. Each yeah. each of us get this screen, you know. <laughs> but it was fun. It was great. It was so much fun and so enjoyable. And you, there's there's very very few PC games that you can sit down at the same PC and play the same game. That just so what you, you know, want them to do with these minis. Is have it so that the mini has got Wi-Fi, and your friend can buy a mini as well, and then it'll do split screen so you and your friend can be on the same screen. You have your Discord going. He could be at his home because of COVID, or he lives in bloody Brisbane when you live on the mid north <laughs> coast in New South Wales, and you can split the screen and both play just like the old days. So you got the two on the same screen. Yeah, and then he can then he, then he can stream screen snipe. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah something like that it, 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 but it's not even that part it was the experience of getting to that point yeah like how many times did you put the put the cartridge into the nintendo before it would work like it became a, a it was like a mini game <laughs> yeah how many times can i blow into this cartridge and make this thing before it actually works and then when it does load is it loading the whole game or is it loading part of the game and the sprites wrong and you know, I've got. But if this... we're going to talk about a mixture <laughs> of new and old, um, ray tracing is coming to Minecraft for reals. Yes, and built in. Yes, I've seen that. I mean, it's been a, it's been on uh, as a mod like texture pack for a while, but I, I, interesting to see how they managed to do it on the game. Mm. Um, I don't know how long before that's coming out, but I noticed that there was a news article about it recently, so I put on my Facebooks. So, ray tracing is hard, a little bit hard to explain for people who don't understand it, but it it basically changes the way the light comes back to you, I guess, instead of it just being... Uh, how, basically, how they, they start with the pixels in the screen and they send a beam of light from there through in memory in 3D realms they send it and then it bounces off here and depending on what it's bouncing off it could mm. be shiny it could be dull it could be uh, water or something like that will change how it refracts and all that so you get shadows in certain places which you can light up with an actual torch and it'll light up certain areas properly but also um it it gets the lighting correct so if you've got something overhanging something there won't be light there, but if you put a torch on the wall here, it won't light up around the corner. And yeah, and it's stuff, the, stuff the like shadows that. in behind the vines. and um, yeah. So if you've got a shiny window here, it might reflect the sunlight or your torch light back off this way, which will illuminate something over there as well. So it's probably out the new snapshot, April 16th. It's coming out for beta testing. But yeah, so it, yeah, it, it just changes the way that you you see... You know, that, that's normal Minecraft, the way it looked there. And then you go into a ray tracing. Yep, there we go. And you can just see the way it, it completely Like the changes. light filtering through the tree leaves is going to come up with a different look. Yeah. You know, and these are default game textures. They haven't changed the textures. They're just adding lighting to it. 
you know there are um there are a lot of cases where with mod packs and that you can change textures you can change you can get full on realistic looking um hello puppy <laughs> you <can> get... <laughs> so you could saw the dog there standing on a reflective gold block and you could see the dog reflected on there like a mirror mm. and um they've been the, yeah the problem with the add-ons no matter how good they are because they're not part of the default game, they're never optimized super great. Yeah, you and they need always super fast issues. computer for it. I mean, I can play them. I can pl- on my system, but they, they, they're still not. They don't. They still don't feel part of the game because they're not. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're being they're being pushed onto a graphic after the graphics being displayed. So yeah. they just always kind of have this not quite right feeling about Tacked it. on kludgy thing. Yeah. But yeah, so if you know in Minecraft you can get different colored windows. So if you put up a green window, the inside of your house is going to be a bit greenish from the sunlight outside. Or if you put up glass here and put a torch on that side and it's purple glass, then it's going to have purple lighting up the room on the other side and stuff like that's going to be possible. Mm. Yeah, no, it definitely um And then if you use that with a, like a realistic texture pack as well, um, you're going to have like something like, uh, let's see, do they have the, what was the one everybody used specs or something? Yeah. Well, there's, there's a few, like a few of the photo, realistic ones now, you know, and these are just the texture packs. Um, so you add these with ray tracing, they're going to look, they're going to look phenomenal. Yep. So, I think this is the texture pack I've actually got installed. Ah. Um, but, yeah. Nice. Um, but, yeah, so, no, it's good to see. Everyone was concerned that once Microsoft took over, they're basically just going to sit on it and and not do anything it's with gonna it. It's going to die. But it's it's gone the complete opposite. They've actually turned it into a... It's basically modded Minecraft now. Yeah. <laughs> it's... It's if you if you haven't played the vanilla one for a while, or you've been playing on an older server that hasn't updated, you're gonna have struggle to play. There's so there's nether stuff and there's underwater stuff. Different biomes in the nether. Oh yeah, it's just insane. There's new animals and mobs and there's stuff that kills you if you stay outside at night too much. (laughs) Yeah, there's more of that. (laughs) (laughs) So it's um, why not? Yeah, that looks good. Um, Speaking of really old stuff that's been given a new twist. Me? The next gen iPhone. Oh. <laughs> Do you like to see what I did there? You went there. <laughs> the next gen iPhone SE is an iPhone without pointless overpriced gimmicks. SE2. Uh, Apple's going back to its roots. It's a high end phone. Does 99% of the users want from a smartphone without the cost and complexity of gizmos and gimmicks that are included for a hefty price tag? Uh, they dropped its face ID. Um, I don't use mine on no, the Samsung does. anyway. It's, uh, um, they're just using going back to the old Touch ID. Um, the screen's down to a more reasonable 4.7 inch. Um, yeah, not they've put a slightly they've just run their older processor a little bit instead of putting a top end processor in it. Drop the camera specs a little bit, and it's 400 bucks. Nice, that'd what be US, I'd imagine. So, um, hmm. that's probably you know, six probably 800 bucks, thousand bucks still, but that's. Nearly a thousand bucks less than the equivalent iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> Not, you know, so I don't know. 
But it's interesting. I was reading another article um, that I didn't load up, but I was reading another article saying that research, cutting-edge research, they spend all this time and effort and energy on research. Apparently, teenagers um, don't use Android. They use iPhones. <laughs> no way. I know, right? Dude, you blow my mind. Lucky they spent you know hundreds of man hours coming to that conclusion because they never would have been able to figure it out otherwise. Asked anyone. <laughs> So, you know, but once well, you... I got funding for that, damn it. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I used my funding for something. That's probably what it is. Once they got older and wiser, they realized that they're... it's like they're like, oh, we need to do something with our funding. What are we going to Let's work out why people get ice cream headaches. Yeah, we'll just spend six months figuring that out and we'll write some quick little thing. There we go. <laughs> There's my $120,000. That's Ding. it. Um, and Google has released a uh, braille keyboard on android ah, which is interesting um it doesn't sort of sound like something that you can actually do <laughs> but um helping your vision impaired type directly on their android device without and then connect to a physical braille keyboard they've released a talkback braille keyboard on android to allow users um with low vision to type on their phones according to google android accessibility product manager brian Kima, the new feature removes the need to connect a physical braille keyboard it's a fast, convenient way to type on your phone without any additional hardware, whether you're posting on social media, responding to text, or writing a brief email. As part of our mission to make the world's information universally accessible, we hope this keyboard can broadly expand Braille literacy. Uh, uses a standard six-key layout, and each of the keys represents one of six Braille dots. When tapped, make the letter for the symbol. For, for instance, pressing dot one would type an A, and pressing dot one and two would type a B. It can be used where typing usually involves allows letters and words to be deleted, lines added, and text to be submitted. The TalkBack Braille keyboard can be turned on and set up through the accessibility section within uh, settings and turned off again, just like the standard keyboards. Um, the TalkBack gestures are not supported un uh, when the keyboard is on, though, as yet. Um, so it currently supports Android devices running version 5 or higher. Supports Braille grade 1 and 2 and will be available initially in English. Said the new keyboard will work across all apps. Um, Sweet. Uh, last year, the tech giant introduced live transcribe and sound amplifier to Android to help the deaf hear, hard of hearing community. Like live transcribe, as its namesake, uses a phone's microphone to transcribe real words spoke into captions in real time. And a sound amplifier uses a phone and a set of headphones to filter, augment, and amplify sound so that users can better hear conversations. Nice. So, yeah, so you can see it, basically it's you hold the phone in uh, landscape and you sit your, basically, your three fingers on the screen and depending on, yeah, one, two, three, four, five, and six, you can make up all the main letters and number combinations required to type. Sweet. I don't know Braille, so I can't tell you what they are and how they work, but I do understand yeah, the concept behind Braille. So, pretty cool though. I actually did try to learn it at one point. Um, Auslan would be good to learn. Is this stupid? <clears throat> Shut up. <laughs> We're not starting again, man. I've had it. <laughs> oh, man. I tell you, it's just one of those days. I was pressing the button for this screen, but it, for whatever reason, just refused to trigger this screen. So, I, I don't know, whatever. Well, I don't know. I'm pretty triggered right now. So, thanks for listening <laughs> to the Aussie Tech Show. 
Tech Show broadcast weekly. We can be found at facebook.com slash Aussie Tech Heads, twitter.com slash Aussie Tech Heads, and youtube.com slash Aussie Tech Heads. Email us, Glenn, Will, and Warlock at aussietechheads.com.au. You can hear Aussie Tech Heads on aussietechradio.com, 24-7 back-to-back play of some of the best tech-related shows from around Australia and New Zealand. New shows are added each Friday. Thanks, guys. See you next time. See ya. Bye.